Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Fight Island, Calvin Cater versus Danny Ige. And Shaq, it's going down this Wednesday night, a featherweight showdown in the main event. Both men looking to get one step closer to a title shot. Yeah, this is a great matchup. You know, Calvin Cater, uh, after his last fight, man, that vicious KO over Jeremy Stevens. I think he uh, instantly became a fan favorite. I think a lot of people are saying that he's got the best hands uh, in the UFC, possibly. And, you know, Dan Ige, man, he's been counted out a lot. But, man, he's, you know, strung together, what, six, seven wins in a row? What is it, seven wins in a row? Uh, just beat Edson Barboza. So, man, uh, it's going to be a really good fight, man. Ige, he seems like he's in a very, uh, you know, dark mental place. And Calvin, you know, uh, we know what Calvin brings to the table, man. This guy always comes to show up. He always comes to fight. So the winner of this fight, man, is going to be able to throw his name, you know, up there with the with the big boys like, you know, Zombie, Ortega, you know, et cetera. So I'm excited. Man, it's going to be a hell of a main event for sure. There's a good chance someone gets finished. And before we break down this car start to finish, just got to let them know to go to bestfightpicks.com. Use that promo code 2020 for 20% off the VIPs. Use my promo code Dan25 for 25% any of my plays. Or Shaq's code Shaq50 for 50% off any of his packages. Coming off a winning weekend at UFC 251 and looking to continue it here. And Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Jack Shore. He's 12 and no and Aaron head kicks Phillips is 12 and three currently they got Jack Shore minus 700 the comeback on Aaron Phillips is plus 500 well Shaka uh, I remember when I heard about Dustin Poirier's old teammate from back in Louisiana Aaron head kicks Phillips and he was supposed to fight Sam Cecilia and I was like hey Aaron let's just go out there and head kick Sam Cecilia when Sam Cecilia looks like a D1 wrestler against you, that's when you know there's an issue. But look, the kid went back to the regional scene, put in some work, even beat our good friend, Devante Sewell, which uh, was a very controversial fight, but he got the dub. Now he's back in the UFC, and he's taking on the Welsh phenom, Jack Shore. This is a guy in Jack Shore who I'm super high on. He doesn't waste any time out there. He knows where his strengths lie, and I think it's going to be one back take. The fight will be over shortly after. I'm going Jack sure by submission here Shaq Aaron Phillips first UFC stand he wasn't able to stuff a takedown to save his life uh and it's gotten a little better but I mean even in, in his recent fights he's still getting taken down so you already know what the deal is here Jack Shore is about to to come out here and run this guy through the series uh, and and you know put on a show for the for the fans uh back home at in Wales man uh, Jack Shore you know I want to see him him, uh, against some some more top flight competition later down the line but i think this is a good uh, a good fight for him to come get a second ufc finish for sure now next up in the flyweight division we got a matchup between diana belbita she's 13 and 5 and liana jojua is 7 and 3 currently they got diana belbita minus 165 the comeback on liana jojua is plus 145 well Shaq, i, I know you uh remember vividly the kind of epic stunt that Liana Jojua pulled in her last fight. Now she's dropping away class. Uh, you think that's going to make any difference here against Belbita? Yeah, you know, uh, man, Jojua definitely not impressed, man. She hasn't really fought anybody on her local scene. Even on her local scene fight, she was kind of pulling similar stunts to, you know, what she did against Morass. And although Belbita's been submitted, I think, what, three, four times, uh, I definitely think Belbita's the tougher chick. Both of, both of them are young girls, but Jojua just seems like, you know, she's more of the the, the IG model type, more, you know, uh, 
more than a fighter. So, you know, I'm going to go with Belbita here. I think she's tougher. I think she had a decent showing against McCann. At least she went the distance. She survived some bad spots, as where we know we've seen what happens when you put uh, Jojua in some bad spots. And that was against a complete cannon, Sarah, uh, my girl Moraz. So, you know, uh, got to go with Belbita here. Uh, you know, it could. I, I honestly don't think it's going to be one of these. Uh, I just have a feeling JoJo is, a, a, you know, a, the IG model type that can't really fight. So I'm going to go with Belbita. You know, when Sarah Moras goes out there and puts on an MMA clinic against you, I'm talking she's feeling comfortable boxing you up. She's taking you down at will and then she's finishing you. That's all I need to see. And I will say one thing, you know, little disclaimer, uh, Jojua's best move is her armbar off her back, and uh, Belbita has been tapped with armbars before. She got finished in the first round by Arian Lipsky, and all the fighters she's beat either have losing records or have had less than five pro fights. But aside from that, I still feel like she showed enough toughness in her Molly McCann fight that she can go out here, keep this fight standing, peace apart, uh, Jojua, and hopefully not get caught in that fluke sub. So I'm going to go with Belbita as well. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Jared Flash Gordon. He's 15-4, and four, and Chris Fishgold is 18-3. and three. Currently, they got Jared Gordon minus 145. The comeback on Chris Fishgold is plus 125. Shaq, this is an interesting fight because I feel like the early going favors Fishgold and the later going favors Jared Gordon. Uh, who do you think is going to get it in their realm and get this dub? Man, this is a great matchup, man. Both these guys are hungry. Both these guys uh, haven't had the best run as, as of lately. You know, Gordon, he's kind of been taking some fights where, I mean, he, the, the three guys he lost to were studs, though. You know, uh, Carlos Diego, Neto BJJ, and, and uh, Charles Oliveira. And then you got Fishy, on the other hand, who was this big-time, you know, Cage Warriors champ coming in. And, you know, he's one and two. Also fought some tough competition. Only two losses are to... Uh, Macwan and and Calvin. So this is a you got two hungry dogs in here looking to keep their spot on the roster. Um, I think yeah, like you said, Fishgold he, he does have the power early, but I man, to be honest, I feel like Fishgold lacks composure big time, man. I feel like Fishgold just uh, I think he had a padded record in that cage warrior scene, man. I think that it you know yeah he came in fifteen and one or sixteen and one whatever it was. But the competition level, man, really wasn't that impressive, in my opinion. And I saw him in some bad spots on the local scene as well. Uh, you know, his fight with Tamor, uh, the, you know, the shit Tamor. I mean, I, I mean, luckily, you know, Tamor can't grapple. But, I mean, there were some sketchy moments in that fight as well. And in the Maquan fight, he landed some good inside low kicks. But, you know, he's this this bit, this bit black belt, and he, and he got tapped out. So I feel like Gordon, honestly... It is a liability to get KO'd, and you know his chin is definitely a big factor. But other than that, I honestly feel like Gordon's the better fighter here. I feel like he can grapple, uh, even though he's also you know had his mistakes on the mat. But he did, you know, it was against Neto BJJ Silva, and you know where, where he almost got his knee torn off there. Or you know, I know Moret and him went back and forth. But I feel like he's honestly, you know, if the fight can settle down, the smarter fighter. I feel like he can, uh, you know, be a little bit more consistent if, if they grapple on the mat, you know, uh, maybe get the better of the position. He's also a, a good grappler himself. It's just a matter of Gordon's chin and uh, if he just doesn't do anything stupid. Because, I mean, he's had some good moments, man. He He's won rounds against Neto and, you know, some other guys, man. But uh, I feel like he's the more composed fighter if things can settle down. So I'm going to go with him for the win. 
uh, Fishgold just, uh, unless he gets a, a quick knockout, I just, I, I have a hard time believing that he's going to keep it together for 15 minutes. Yeah, look, uh, one guy's got an extremely questionable chin. The other guy, his heart is in question. And, I mean, it's a situation where Chris Fishgold's got to come out and knock him out in the first round and a half or he's going to gas out and get teed off on. The volume difference is huge. And both these guys are guys that we look to fade, especially Jared Gordon, but it's just that Fishgold ain't the guy. And I heard an interview with Fishgold. I don't like his mindset, man. He was talking about how um, he said, I'd rather – uh, lose an exciting fight than win a boring one. And yeah, a as a fan, that's great. Awesome. Go out there and, you know, be exciting. But as a betting man, I can't bet on someone or trust someone that, you know, would rather lose an exciting fight than win a boring one. I mean, I'm all about winning by any means necessary. So I think it's first round or bust for Chris Fishgold. And after that, Jared's probably going to take over. But I mean, would it surprise me if Chris got him out of there? No, even though Chris only has, you know, two knockouts in 22 pro fights. But Jared really has no chin, and he's cutting to 45. And interestingly enough, Fishgold's the one that missed weight today by four pounds or so. So we'll have to see what happens. But I'm going to lean with Jared Gordon to kind of take over in the second half of the fight. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between the former Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion, Modestus, Modestus Bukowskis. He's 10-2, and two, and Andreas Mikolaitis is 12-3. Currently, they got Modestus Bukowskis, minus 210. The comeback on Andreas Mikolaitis is plus 175. Well, this is an interesting fight, Shaq, because Modestus Bukowskis, he kind of has a bit of that karate style, and um, you start to slow down on a guy like that. That's when he can get off on his strikes. It's just that his takedown defense is horrendous. But he kind of has one of those, like, he's one of these tall men that has kind of that Gumby thing going on where, like, you take him down easily, but he'll pop back up. He'll make you work over and over again. And then when you're gassed out, that's when he starts to do his karate combos. And Andreas Michalaitis, he goes super hard in that first round. Look, the guy is normally a middleweight. He's fighting at light heavyweight this time. But in that first round, he's very dangerous. But after the first round, he starts to slow down a bit. And, uh, you know, both these guys have knocked guys out with spin kicks and stuff like that. I would say that Modestus is probably the more fundamentally sound guy here. And the longer the fight goes, it definitely edges him. Um, it definitely favors him just because Andreas Michalaitis goes so hard early that he's got nothing left in the second and third rounds. And uh, it's funny. I watched one of uh, Andreas Michalaitis' fights against a Russian. So, Shaq, listen to this shit. He knocks out a Russian with a spinning head kick and, uh, you know, the guy's knocked out. The ref stops the fight. He's celebrating. But, you know, a couple of the politicians sitting in the front row were like, nah, 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 restart that shit. So they restart the fight. He goes out there and knocks the guy out again. So, you know, he's experienced fighting in these big shows overseas. But the thing is, I just don't like how he looks when fights go past round one. So I think the early going is going to be sketch. Andreas might drop him. Andreas might take him down. But if Andreas can't get him out of there, I think Modestus is going to come back and knock him out in the second or third round. So I'm going to go with the favorite uh, Modestus uh, Bukowskis here. Yeah, man, I agree 100%. Uh, I kind of see uh, Andreas coming out here, like you said, possibly getting a knockdown. So if he can, if he can get the finish, you know, uh, it, I don't want to say it would be shocking, but yeah, I, I like the, uh, the karate style, the point attacks from Modestus, you know, throughout the course of the 15 minutes. So I'll take him for the win. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a showdown between Ricardo Ramos. He's 14-2, and, and Leroy Murphy is 8-0-1. Oh, 
Currently, they got Ricardo Ramos minus 160. The comeback on Leron Murphy is plus 140. Well, Shaq, obviously, Ricardo Ramos is a guy that's paid his dues. I mean, I know you remember back when uh, he fought on that show in the regional scene and Dana White sitting front row looking to sign this young kid. And Ricardo Ramos goes out there and gets choked out in the first round. And, you know, for a young guy, like we've seen other people who, you know, were undefeated. They get finished in the first round. They never come back ever the same. I know you know who I'm talking about. One of uh, uh, Georgia's top prospects uh, when he was undefeated, got knocked out on that big show. He never came back. But that's not the case with Ricardo Ramos. Ricardo Ramos put his head down, he grinded, and he can overcome adversity. The kid's only 24 years old. I'm so impressed with him. But I got to tell you what, this kid, Leron Murphy, you know, in his regional footage, I was like, yeah, Zubera Tukugov is about to run through this guy. And Leron Murphy got to a draw with Zubera Tukugov in Abu Dhabi. Now he makes his return to Abu Dhabi. How you seen uh, this featherweight showdown going? Man, this is a, this is a great matchup because, uh, like you said, man, Leron Murphy, prior to UFC, I was thinking, uh, you know, he ain't all that. He hasn't hasn't fought any, you know, blah, blah, blase, blase. But, uh, man, he impressed me against Tukugov, man. He, I don't want to say he won the last two rounds, but, I mean, I'd say for two rounds he fought on a very somewhat even level. The, the only issue was that we know that Leron Murphy's only a blue belt on the mat, and we know that he, in that fight that he got taken down a bunch other than that though he showed he had you know some some good striking it, it was very sharp you know he he uh played things very safe and he had a good defensive style even though he did get dropped in that first round but man you know to be eight and no in abu dhabi against you know Takugov, the fact that he uh performed that way the last two rounds was very impressive it's just a matter of uh can he perform like that again you know uh against another tough guy and Ramos is a guy where you know there's been a lot of high expectations on him from the beginning and and he's done a, a somewhat good job man he's still very young and we know that his jiu-jitsu you know at least um where Tsukugov is good at the wrestling the the ability to get the submission is going to be much more of a, a issue um for Leron this time, you know, I know he got taken down a bunch, but against a guy like Ramos, this guy's going to look to hop around to the back and, and get that rear naked choke. So he's going to have to be on point. I just don't have enough faith in his grappling ability yet, but from a betting perspective, I do respect his skills enough to pass on Ramos at that minus 160, you know, or wherever it is. I think Leron Murphy's a tough dude. It seems like he gets better through, you know, as the fight goes on. And Ramos has slowed down in the past. We have seen him, you know, uh, you know, have rounds where he's fatigued, like against Kyung Ho Kang or Tanaka back in the day. You know, if he uses too much energy on the mat and, and Leron can actually get out of a, a couple of uh, grappling exchanges. But I, I think most likely what happens is Ramos gets him down and, and probably gets a sub. But, uh, man, it's going to be tough. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Leroy even pulled out the win, but I think it's, I think it could be a good fight. Yeah, it's a fantastic featherweight showdown. And I'm so glad that Ricardo Ramos moved up to 145 pounds. I really feel like he was killing himself to make Bantamweight. And, I mean, he's always had these flashes of brilliance, but now that he's getting more cage time in there. And, I mean, again, like I said earlier, the kid's only 24 years old. He's just a kid, Shaq, and he already knows what it means to overcome adversity. He knows what it's like to get embarrassed more than once and then come back and brush it off like nothing happened. So, I like this guy a lot, but with Leron Murphy, you can't ignore what happened in his UFC debut. And, yeah, I mean, 
you can look at that as a double-edged sword. You know, he did get taken down a bunch. But to have the composure to arguably come back and win the last two rounds in those circumstances against that opponent, that's very respectable. And if Ricardo Ramos, you know, blows the load early, yeah, Leroy Murphy can definitely come back. It's just that stylistically I feel like Ricardo can get him down, can take the back, and potentially finish this fight. So I'm going to go with Ricardo Ramos as well. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between John the White Mike Tyson Phillips. He's 22 and 9, and Hamzat Himayev is 6 and 0. Currently, they got Hamzat Himayev minus 335. The comeback on John Phillips is plus 275. Well, Shaq, I mean, we already know the deal with John Phillips. Uh, he's got like over 20 first round knockouts. I mean, in that first round, if you stand and bang with John Phillips, there's a good chance that your head's getting knocked out into the fifth row. But with this kid, Hamzat Himayev, now someone uh, let me know where he's from. I'm guessing he's Russian. It says that he's from Sweden. Like, I know he trains at All-Stars with Gustafsson and Latifi and all those guys, And um, but was he born in Russia? Someone let me know because, I mean, he looks Russian. His last name is Russian. He fights like a Russian. I like this kid Hamzat a lot. It's just that, you know, he's only 6-0, and no, so it's like he still needs a lot of seasoning. But from what I've seen from him, he picks guys up, walks them across the cage like Matt Hughes, slams them. And if he comes out there and does that against Phillips, he's probably going to win. It's just that, you know... Just looking at it on paper, if you get a plus 275 on John Phillips against some random 6-0 and guy, yeah, you might roll the dice and see if he can knock him out. But from what I've seen from Hamza, he's legit. And Shaq, you remember uh, that kid, Sidney Wheeler, how we were talking about how, man, he made a big career mistake by going over and fighting all those Russians? Well, Hamza Himayev was one of the Russians that finished Sid Wheeler in the first round. Actually made him tap to strikes in under a minute, which was like, damn, that was crazy. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of Phillips. I, I like watching him fight a lot. It's just I don't trust the ground game. And if Hamzat plays to his strengths here, he should come out and win. But again, like I said, if he tries to stand and bang with John Phillips, he will be knocked unconscious inside one round. He seems smarter than me. He seems smarter to me than that. So I'm gonna go with Hamzat to either get a decision or a submission here. Yeah, you know, Hamzat. Uh, Hamzat uh, is that how you say it? Hamzat or Hamzat? Yeah, Hamzat. You know, uh, like you said, very green in the sport. Only six fights. Uh, but I will say in those six fights, he has been somewhat tested. He fought Sid Wheeler. He fought uh, another 8-0 guy. And he, and he fought, uh, you know, a few decent, a few good guys. So it's not like one of these things where he's 6-0 and and he's fought, you know, uh, you know, Ted Worthington and, uh, you know, the, the snow cone guy out the, out the stands, you know, uh, but uh, so, and, and he does go for the takedown. So immediately right there, you're like, ah, oh, fuck. But, you know, his stand up, it, it seemed like it was actually improving to me, like from the first few fights that I watched to, compared to the last one. I saw him knock out a guy with the uppercut. And, you know, his other fights, he just seemed impressed with the takedowns. And that's probably the worst style for uh, Phillips. I mean, Phillips has given up a, a bevy of takedowns in the UFC to Charles Bird, Kevin Holland, and the, and some of the takedowns are really bad too. Uh, and when he got down there, he really had no answer. And and, and Hamzat uh, has very good ground and pound as well. So if Hamzat plays this safe, uh, he should get the win here. But from a betting perspective, at, at the line that it is now, minus what three something, three thirty something, 
I don't think there's any value. You don't really know too much about this guy. Yeah, you know, he's got Ali and all these guys backing him. So more than likely he comes out here and gets the win. But uh, you never know, man. Some A lot of times, you know, people want to anoint these guys the next, best, the, the next best thing when they really haven't done shit. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'll take him for the win. Probably He'll probably get the takedowns here and get a ground and pound stoppage. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got the return of the best knockout artist at welterweight, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. He's 10-1, and and he's welcoming the newcomer, Munir Lazez, who's 9-1. and Currently, they got Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, minus 310. The comeback on Munir Lazez is plus 255. Well, Shaq, I mean, they know how we feel about Razak. Uh, I would never bet against Razak. No matter who he fought, because that guy can literally touch anyone in the welterweight division, and they might go night night. And I know he's got a lot of pent up uh, aggression to let out here. It's just that this kid Munir Lazes is no slouch at all. I was pleasantly uh, surprised with what I saw on tape. I was pretty impressed. Uh, the kid is long for the weight class. He's a sniper. He can knock people out in vicious fashion. It's just that he's got to fight Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in his debut. You think the newcomer can rise to the occasion, or is this uh, Razak's night to come out here and remind everyone why he's one of the most scariest knockout artists at 170 pounds? Yeah, I'm interested to see because, you know, Razak, he's, you know, knocked out guys like Nico Price before in less than a minute. So we, we know what type of caliber fighter uh, but at some other times, man, we have seen him go in there and be reckless and, you know, uh, put himself in danger uh, for the knockout. And if he's not on point, I mean, I know he missed weight, but I'm assuming, you know, that's due to the due to the quarantine. Uh, but, yeah, this guy, Menorah, he does. He I definitely have seen him get clipped with some big punches. But, man, I do have a feeling that he might be one of these guys that can, like, you know, take like a vicious KO blow to the head, no problem, and, and you know, still stay in there. But Razak Kalasan, that's a uh, a tough task for your debut. So I, I definitely got to go with Razak. But you know, uh, kind of similar to to Hamza. You know, there's a, it's a, I mean, I definitely think Razak's a, you know a lock. It's just you know he's been off for a little bit. He missed weight. Uh, not that you know the missing weight thing is a big red flag. It's just uh, his style is very you know uh banking on the first round knockout so you know uh i'll take him for the win but i'm interested to see how manure looks uh, uh from here on up yeah look munir lazes is going to have a very bright future in the ufc he's going to go on to knock out a lot of people it's just that this is kind of a rude uh, welcoming to the ufc now i'm not saying he can't get it done like you said we've seen razak get rocked at times it's just that I'm not convinced that Munir can take the shots that Razak throws. Not because Munir's got a bad chin, not at all. More so just Razak has, in my opinion, the best knockout power in the whole welterweight division. So that's really all it is for me. And, you know, shout out to my boy, Will Martin. You know, he told me that he was at the fight between Razak and Charlie Ward in Belfast. And, you know, I think it was like first fight of the night or one of the first fights on the prelims. And he said that, Razak's uh, punches literally sounded like gunshots in the arena. Like, that's how hard this dude hits. And, uh, I mean, we already know the deal, man. Um, you know, his last fight against Nico Price, you and I actually got inside info that he was dealing with some shit and that he couldn't get the best training camp and that he only had one round of cardio in him. And he still goes out there and knocks out Nico Price in under a minute. So him missing weight here, I'm not going to use that as a red flag because I was told, you know, by some of my friends in Texas that, hey, Razaka came into this camp a little bit heavy. You know, he's been dealing with some shit. But... 
The power never leaves, and I, I think he's going to come out here with a serious ferocity. I think he's going to go after Munir Lazayas until he either knocks him out or until he gets knocked out. Someone is going to sleep in this fight. I'm going to say Abdul Razak Al-Hassan wins uh, by first-round knockout here. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Molly McCann. She's 10-2, and two, and Tyla Santos is 15-1. and one. Currently, they got Molly McCann minus 125. The comeback on Tyler Santos is plus 105. Well, Shaq, odds makers open Molly McCann minus 300 in this spot. Now, it's been it's relatively a pick with a slight lean on Molly. And, look, the thing with Tyla is, you know, she did do her thing on a contender series. You know, she did have kind of a technical Muay Thai performance. But then it's like, hey, why don't we give you the weakest opponent on the roster in Brazil, here's Morella Barella. Go ahead and, uh, and tee off on her. And it's like when you're hesitant against Mara Romero Barella and, like, you're her one win and this and that, that was sketchy, man, especially that third round when they stood up the entire third round. And it's like, uh, go okay, okay, Tyler, go ahead and tee off on her. And she refused to do anything. So I'm just saying that if you're not coming here with some serious intensity against Molly McCann, you will be broken. So can we expect a better Tyler Santos this time around, Shaq? I'm glad you asked that, man. I, I got a lot to say about this fight. You know, I think I feel like Tyler Santos, uh, I think there's a chance she was a complete fraud, bro. I, I think that, uh, you know, she had that 14-0 record coming into contender series. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the female Brazilian MMA, men, it, it's really sloppy, you know, uh, a lot of padded records. I mean, you look at her record. I mean, she fought nobody, to be honest. Um, then the contender series chick, I mean, she won that fight with a jab and a low kick. You know, there really wasn't too many uh, aspects in that fight. Uh, the chick she fought was kind of, you know, it's like it was like she was fighting a, a Vanessa Mello, you know? <laughs> you know, you just, you come out there and you, you know, you touch the girl up and, and that's it, you know? Uh, but, man, I, you know, I know she had a win over Marina Rodriguez in Muay Thai. And, you know, like you said, Mary Mar Barella, you know, what, what's to be what's to be scared? What's what's to be hesitant <laughs> with Mary Barella? You know, it's like she's harmless. But uh, I feel like she she's, you know, that 15-0, 15-1 record is not really, you know, uh, indicative of where Tyler Santos is really at. Half of those fights were against soccer moms you know, driving the, uh, the Odyssey van, you know, down the street, man, you know, like it's not, uh, and now she's in here with Meatball McCann, who, when we talk about intensity levels is just on a completely different level than Mary Barella skill level is on a completely different level than, uh, Mary Barella, man. So I think that Tyler Santos is possibly swimming in, uh, with some sharks that she's not ready for, man. Uh, you know, that the the Mary Barella fight, what was so weird about it was, it seemed like she was more more uh, concerned about you know fixing her uniform than actually fighting. You know, like every second she got, she was fixing her shorts, her bra. Like it was like, wait, are you are you in a fashion show or are you trying to actually fight? Um, and she was just getting pushed up pushed up against the fence for significant amounts of time. When Mary Barella got on top of her, she had no answer. The third round, she actually is on the feet and. Mary Barella's literally out here, you know, shadow boxing and, and, you know, you're still not pulling the trigger. I think that she's a, I don't think she's ready for this level. And when you look at Meatball McCann, on the other hand, man, this girl has uh, definitely changed my opinion over, uh, you know, around the last year or so, man, because, 
you know, she was talking, you know, that big game before the Jillian Robertson fight saying she was going to do this and do that. And, you know, she got embarrassed. She got tapped out unconscious in England. And then she came back, man, against Priscilla Cachoeira. And those first two rounds, man, she put on a, quite the performance, you know, showed her skills on the mat, her improved skills on the mat from the Robertson fight. Then she takes that against Lipsky, where I better at a, a, I think she was plus 245 against Lipsky down there in Greenville. And absolutely, you know, put on the clinic, man, showed the footwork, the boxing. And I think when you, as far as how these girls match up, I think Molly McCann's got better boxing. I think she's got better jujitsu, better wrestling. I feel like uh, she's more intense, better mindset. And I feel like Tyler Santos, yeah, she's got a good athletic body. When you look at her, you're like, damn, this girl, you know, is tall. She's ripped. But I don't think she has it up here, and I don't think she has it here. And I know Molly McCann's got that, so I'm going to take her for the win. And I think it's going to be a dominant win, man. I think she, if, if they get on the mat, I feel like you might see Molly McCann, you know, really have her way with her. And I think on the feet, she can have her way with her as well. McCann's got some very underrated footwork, so I got Meanball Molly for the win. I mean, dude, when you look at some of these numbers from that Barella fight, it's so alarming to a point. It's like... You know how many strikes Tyler Santos landed in the first round? Two strikes. You know how many strikes Tyler Santos landed in the second round? Nine strikes. And in the third round, Barella literally lands 12 strikes. They stay standing the entire time. You have a Barella that's completely scared to throw. I mean, look, going into that fight, we were like, oh, you're giving me an undefeated Muay Thai phenom against Morella Barella, who's been knocked out five times in women's MMA. Like, yeah, duh. And then the girl's scared of Morella Barella, like the weakest possible opponent you can get. Like, dude, that does not sit well with me. And it's like, you can blame it on UFC debut. Like, I, I'm not going to blame it on UFC debut because even if you go back to that contender series fight against a much lower level opponent, there were still moments there where you can see her get clinched up against the fence and you know someone better is going to have success. It's just like, you know, Molly wants to come out here and trade leg, leg kicks with her. Then, you know, Tyler's got a path to victory. But, yeah, look, Molly might get tagged up a couple times, but Molly's going to push forward. She's going to get in her face. And if you get Tyler Santos moving back, that completely shuts down her Muay Thai attack. And then you mix in the takedowns, which, by the way, Molly McCann has landed nine takedowns in her last three fights. I mean, I think she's going to pick her up, slam her, and then once they're on the mat, I mean, I saw Morella Barella hold this girl down. What's going to happen when Molly McCann's on top of her landing big elbows from Mount and – uh I think it's going to be a dominant win as well. Uh, I was actually surprised by the matchmaking. And, look, Vegas knows what's up. They own, they opened Molly a, a wide favorite here. But uh, I think people are still riding this hype off Santos. But based off what I've seen, I just can't do it. I mean, we can talk about fading Molly down the line. And, look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I don't think this is the spot. And, and I'm going Molly McCann here. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a showdown between two bantamweights because Jimmy Rivera, he's 22-4, and four, and he's taking on Cody Stamen, who's 19-2. and two. Currently, they got Jimmy Rivera minus 140. The comeback on Cody Stamen is plus 120. Uh, Shaq, this is a fight you and I have wanted to see for a very long time because back when Jimmy Rivera was the guy with the 20-1 and one record and, you know, he was the guy that was one fight away from a title shot, we were always saying that, you know, this, this young, unranked kid, Cody Stamen, kind of reminds me of... Of, uh, of Jimmy Rivera a little bit. He's like a young Jimmy Rivera, but I don't feel like he's a young Jimmy Rivera anymore because I feel like Jimmy Rivera still has the same style he's had throughout his entire UFC career. Like, if you stand and bang in the pocket with Jimmy Rivera, he can win. I mean, Jimmy Rivera in the pocket can bang, but if you just mix it up on him, 
you you play that outside game, if you switch stances on him, if you keep him guessing. Now, I know he's got good takedown defense, but you can still pin him up against the fence. If Cody Stamen comes out here and mixes things up, he's got a path to victory. It's just, do you think Cody Stamen's going to come out here and try to stand and bang in the pocket with Jimmy Rivera and give him the one chance he has to win? Man, this is a great matchup. You know, I've had a I've had a feeling since the the day Cody came into the UFC that this fight would eventually happen, and and here it is. You know, uh, Jimmy Rivera. I feel like uh, you know, like you said a few years ago, yeah, he was that top five guy. He was, you know, he was that. Uh, 21 and 20 and one guy that beat Faber was a win away from the title fight. But to be honest, I feel like his, he has a very old school style. And, and I feel like the reason why he kind of hasn't progressed uh, as much, even though he's losing to, you know, the top three, Marais, uh, Sterling and, and Peter Jan. Um, the, the reason why I feel like he, you know, got completely dominated in those fights was just because uh you know he he's he's failed to evolve his style where all those other guys have evolved you know um i feel like jimmy can't really fight and only fights in one stance i feel like he's very tight i feel like he at this point in his career is more of a slugger you know just swings big hooks and this whole notion that he was winning against peter jan i just I don't, I, I don't get it, but, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, Jimmy Rivera is going to land some punches if you fight him, <laughs> you know, uh, like, it's going to be, a, it's a fist fight, but uh, he, he's under the impression that he won 14 minutes of that fight, uh, <laughs> which is delusional, but, uh, you know, Cody Stamen, I feel like uh, he doesn't get enough credit, man, I feel like a lot of people just think, uh, you know, he's, He's just a guy, but man, just because, you know, he's labeled, uh, you know, quote unquote, a, a point fighter, you know, he like my boy Volkanovsky, you know, he's a he's a point fighter. But uh, I feel like Cody can pretty much do it all, man. He can wrestle guys. He can kick guys from the outside. He can fight in both stances. He can box in the pocket. He can, you know, his grappling, man, is on point as well. And I truly believe that, to be honest, he is the better overall fighter. And I feel like Cody Stamen is a very smart guy when it comes to the the point game and the and the the what we need to do to win this fight. I don't feel like there's much people at Bantamweight better than uh, Cody Stamen. I know it might not be that entertaining, but I mean this guy finds a way. Besides the Sterling fight, finds a way to to make every fight you know uh, come not come down to the wire you know. But uh, he he never gets dominated. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not gonna get the better of Cody Stamen. Uh, for not even Sonya Don could. So I actually think Cody Stamen's a live underdog here. I don't feel like Jimmy Rivera's progressed. And another thing about Jimmy is, and I never want to blame teams and coaches and, and things like that, but just a, a thought, man. I know Tiger Showman and them are some good coaches, but man, I like when you hear some of the advice that they give Jimmy, it's like, you know, it's kind of like very basic, like, I, that's why I feel like he hasn't progressed. It's like they're just telling him to, you know, knock him out. You know, uh, you know, uh, it's just very basic stuff. And he's fighting guys on the on the high high level of the sport. I feel like Cody Stamen's got a better fight IQ. But uh, we'll see what happens. Jimmy's very explosive, good with his hands. But uh, I feel like Cody Stamen has more ways to win, more aspects to his game, and and I'll, and I'll take him for the win. If you try to stand and bang with Jimmy Rivera in the pocket, that's going to give him his one chance he has to win. And, you know, I agree with you. That whole, you know, he he won 14 minutes against Piotr Yan is complete bullshit. I think even if Piotr Yan didn't get those knockdowns, I still think Piotr Yan wins that fight, man. And uh, 
But Piotr Yan fights a different fight. Piotr Yan, you know, walks you down the entire time, and he doesn't throw anything until he, he's ready to, which is not how Stamen fights. Stamen fights a different fight. Stamen's going to have Rivera guessing the whole time. You know, he's going to switch stances. He's going to make Rivera chase him. He's going to pin him up against the fence. And he's going to make Rivera miss. And, you know, from time to time, he'll have some pocket exchanges with Jimmy. But he's not going to do it the entire time. Because you do that the entire time. That's the only path Jimmy has to victory. Jimmy's not going to wrestle. Jimmy doesn't have an outside game. Jimmy literally only has one way of fighting. It's the same way he's fought his entire career. It's just that now that his chin is kind of, you know, diminishing a little bit. I mean, he's been knocked down seven times in UFC competition. And people will say, but Cody Stamen doesn't hit hard. Uh, Cody Stamen was throwing some heaters against Brian Kelleher, and I'll tell you this right now. He hits Jimmy Rivera on that temple or on that chin. He will put him down, but I, I don't think it's going to be a knockout. I, I think that, look, Stamen's the hungrier guy. I think he's the smarter guy, and interestingly enough, statistically speaking, you look at the stats, not even just the fight footage, Cody's got him covered in literally every area except takedown defense, so that's a pretty good thing going on. I, I think that Cody Stamen's going to outpoint and outwork uh, Jimmy Rivera on Wednesday night. Co-main event of the evening in the flyweight division. We got a matchup between Tim Elliott. He's 15 and 11 and Ryan Benoit is 10 and six. Currently they got Tim Elliott minus 125. The comeback on Ryan Benoit is plus 105. Uh, Shaq, uh, Tim Elliott's back. And uh, this is an interesting fight because you got a guy in Tim Elliott who's going to come out here trying to look for takedowns. You got Ryan Benoit, who we've said for the longest time is one of the hardest hitters in the flyweight division. And interestingly enough, uh, Kamara Uzman, the welterweight champion, used to be Ryan Benoit's wrestling coach. I wish that Ryan's wrestling was a little bit better in the UFC, but he still he still uh, seems to get back up when he gets taken down. You think he's going to come out here and uh, hand Tim Elliott another loss? Is it me? Is it me, or is it like every Tim Elliott matchup, the the opponent has shitty takedown defense? <laughs> I mean, because uh, Askar Askarov had. You know, suspect takedown defense. He he still went out there, got the win. Roy Vow's takedown defense was fucking garbage, and uh, he still went out there and got the win. And and now Benoit, you know. So man, I feel like Tim Elliott. I heard he got a new contract. Props to him. That's what you know, being exciting will do. Uh, he's a tough guy. You know, Tim Elliott. It's just it's a difference between being tough and entertaining and and actually winning the fight. And I feel like, you know. Tim Elliott's not very good at winning the fight. I know he's good at, you know, putting on the show and being tough and, and showing his heart. It's just, I don't see what, how much, what much can much change after that last fight, man. I mean, just look at, you know, the, he had the ACL surgery, he fights Figueredo, gets finished in the first round. No shame. Figueredo's, you know, arguably the champ or, you know, about to be the champ, whatever. Then, uh, you got, uh, his fight with, uh, was it Askar Askarov? You know, he almost gets knocked out unconscious in the first round. That was like the first time he, you know, really got cracked to a point where like people were really worried about him. He said he had no recollection. Uh, you know, had some trips, had some big takedowns, but he still lost those rounds on two cards. Uh, and then the Roy Val fight, who Roy Val's a young kid. Uh, you know, people thought the experience was going to be the the thing, the takedowns, and Tim Elliott completely gassed out to a point. It was a hell of a pace he put on. I'll give him that. I mean, how many of those takedowns he was chaining together? But at the same time, if you watch Brandon Royval fight, like Brandon Royval, have you ever seen him stuff a takedown? Because fucking, I, I don't think I, I don't think I have. And there's no, there's no offense to Royval. My my boy Royval's the man, man, raw dog. But I feel like. Uh, 
you know, there's a chance that people are giving him too much credit for all those takedowns, man. Roy Val can't stuff a takedown. That's just facts. Um, but I think that uh, in this fight with Benoit, Benoit has average takedown defense. Sometimes he stuffs, sometimes he gives him up. But I feel like Benoit, his last fight, I feel like he showed enough to let me know that, man, if this guy touches Tim Elliott's chin at any point in this fight, I will not be shocked if Tim Elliott is unconscious on that mat. Uh, I feel like his chin is declining. I feel like whenever, anytime Roy Val even got close to hitting his face, he he went to the ground and he just had nothing on the feet. He says he's a little bit hungrier this time, but I've heard this I've heard this story many times from him, man. I feel like I don't want to say he he's just here for fun at this point, but I just feel like you know he's a guy that just. Uh, I don't know. It just, like I said, I just don't think he's going to win. I feel like he's going to, I feel like he's going to put on a good show. I I feel like it's going to be one of those things. I feel like Benoit's uh, the hungrier guy, even though Elliot got a new contract, I feel like, you know, that kind of just gave him more security to, to keep doing what he's doing. But, uh, you know, I feel like Benoit needs this win. And I feel like he had a good showing against Alateng Hali. You know, I'm not going to say he won because Alateng did get a lot of takedowns in the third round. But the first two rounds, man, I liked what I saw. And I was at 135. And, man, the way him and Alateng Hali were, you know, hitting in that pocket, man, I was like, damn, these are these are fight-ending type of blows, man. You know, uh, I, that I, I just knew that, man, if Elliot took those type of things, I feel like Elliot's going to have to have the cardio. And, and he doesn't have the jujitsu to hold these guys down. I know he's got the takedown and the trips and the the funky little you know ways to get guys down but he doesn't hold guys down unless it's like mark de la rosa or you know you know somebody like that but so i'm gonna go with benoit here for the win i think he actually knocks tim elliott out somewhere late second early third round uh elliott probably does take him down i mean probably more than likely takes him down in the in the early stages but i don't think he can hold him down and i think benoit gets a knockout yeah, look, Tim Elliott's got a lot of fans that'll make a lot of cases for him. And I mean, look, I'm a fan too. I remember watching this guy fight Jared Papazian on my phone on Fight Pass and back in the day. And he's exciting as hell. I like him. It's just that at the betting window, he cannot be trusted. And it's funny, you try to make excuses for his opponents like Askar Askarov. You know, going into that fight, it was like, man, Askar Askarov gets taken down every fight. He's known for getting, you know, subs off his back and this and that. Like, I was like, man, I'd bet Askarov he just gets taken down too much. And he got taken down uh, three times in one round, and two of the judges still scored that round for Askarov. So it's like it didn't even matter that Askarov fucks around on, off his back too much. Next fight against Royval, I bet Royval at dog odds, but I was like, you know, I, I know Royval gets taken down a lot. It's just that, you know, I said the same shit about Askarov, and it didn't matter. Well, it didn't matter against Royval. He still found a way to win. And here against, you know, Benoit, I know Benoit gets taken down a few times too, but it's probably not going to matter because when they get back up, he hits so damn hard. One thing we've been saying for a long time, you remember back in the day, Shaq, when it used to be John Moraga and Ryan Benoit. Those were the two hardest hitters at flyweight, man. And, you know, John Moraga no longer with the company. Shout out to my boy Chicano John. But now it's Ryan Benoit and Davison Figueredo. They're the two hardest hitters at 125 pounds. And I like what I heard from Ryan Benoit. You know, he feels like he needs to evolve. He feels like, hey, I'm going to work on my jiu-jitsu with Gary Tonin and all those guys. I'm going to travel to New York. Like, that. that's that's the sign of someone that wants to improve. Whereas with Tim Elliott, I heard his interview, and uh, he was like, you know, I got outside my comfort zone. Um, I'm sleeping on couches again. So when I heard the, I'm sleeping on couches again, 
I was like, damn, okay, T- Tim Elliott, hey, he- he's into this. And then the reporter kind of dug a little deeper, and the reporter was like, but didn't you just say you're at an Airbnb with your wife? And so Tim Elliott's like, yeah, yeah, the 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 mattress, I mean, the sleeping on couches is a metaphor. I was like, oh, so he's not really sleeping on couches. He, he you know, bro, him and, bro, let's just let's just be honest here. Him and Gina are here for a vacation, bro. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. And uh, look, I, I hope they get fight of the night. But I, I think Ryan Benoit's coming out here with a with a vicious knockout. So I'm gonna go with Ryan Benoit to get this one done. Main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We got an absolutely epic showdown between Calvin, the Boston finisher, Cater, he's 21 and 4, and Dan, 50K Ige, is 14 and 2. Currently, they got Calvin Cater minus 280. The comeback on Dan Ige is plus 240. Shaq, it's interesting because initially when I saw this line, I was like, look, I lean Calvin, but you give me a plus 250 on a guy like Dan Ige that I might want to take the shot. But then I put on the tape and I was like, oh, so that that's why. Really? 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 Wow. Yeah, I mean, dude, you see a plus 250 or, uh, with a top 10 guy. I was like, hey, you know, let's relax. Let's not disrespect yeah, Ige. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. But then I don't know uh, if he, he ain't no he ain't no top ten guy. Let, <laughs> let's relax on that. But then uh then you put on the tape and you're like, oh, so that's why Calvin's a three to one favorite in this spot. And uh look, as far as Ige's last performance against uh Barboza live, you know, I thought it, it was kind of a robbery. I watched it last night. It was close. All comes down to how you score that second round. I kind of low-key think that Ige might have did enough because, like, Ige won four minutes of that second round. Edson had one little moment at the end, but it might have been too little too late. Third round was clear Ige. First round, clear Barboza. So, all comes down to how you score that second round. But it's definitely not the robbery of the year, like people are saying. That's that's for sure upon second rewatch. And I bet Barboza there. And, you know, it is what it is. You move on. But in this spot – and also – I was under the impression that Calvin didn't look that good against Jeremy. Then I rewatched that, and he looked fucking great versus Jeremy. Like, he literally weathered Jeremy's storm no problem. And when it was his turn to deliver the offense, I mean, he was rocking Jeremy at the end of the first round. And then by the time the second round rolled around, uh, he made Jeremy switch stances with kicks of his own. So, look, I think Ige's going to come out here hard. He might land some shots early, maybe some leg kicks, maybe even a takedown. But the longer this fight goes, I mean, Shaq, me and you have been saying we want to see Calvin Cater in a five-round fight for the longest time because, you know, he might be a bit of a slow starter. I feel like if he had two more rounds against the beat, he might have won that fight. Here he's got the full five rounds to work. Uh, so I'm going to go with Calvin Cater to finish the very, very tough Hawaiian Dan Ige. And I think that Calvin Cater might be one or two fights away from uh, that elusive UFC title shot. Yeah, man. I feel like Dan Ige has made a lot of good improvements since his first UFC fight. And I do think that he's a ranked guy. And like you said, you know, initially I, you thought the, uh, but after I watched it again, it definitely wasn't a robbery. Ige fought tough, did win the majority of that second. Edson had low output. Edson was getting bruised up from the, from the very beginning. And Edson, is just not in a, a physical condition to be uh, in fights on that level anymore, I guess. So props to Dan Ige for exposing that. But when we talk about Calvin Cater, this is a whole different ball game now, man. It's this might be the this probably is the best boxer in the in the featherweight division. I know Zabit, you know, touched him up a little bit, but you know, we we need to see two more rounds in that fight, man. You know, to to make it uh to make it fair. But nah, I feel like Calvin Cater. You know, Ige, his style is he has two different versions. You know, it's either come out here and let's try to rush him early and get a a, a, a submission, you know, hit, rock him with a big punch, hop around to his back and get the sub. Or it's the same, you know, 
let, let me dominate him the first round, take off the second, and look to come back in the third uh, when I'm rested. But, you know, his last fight, I will say, that was the best he ever looked. And, you know, uh, I just feel like Calvin Cater, when, he's a, when you got a guy like Kim standing in front of you, and you have these moments like Ige where you do get dropped, like when Edson Barboza takes off, you know, three, four minutes of the round, and then his one little explosion, boom, puts you on your ass. You know, Calvin Cater isn't going to be taking breaks off, man. He's going to be pumping those jabs and feigning those one-twos the entire time. And if you're not on point, Calvin takes heads completely off, man. So uh, I think that Calvin Cater is going to take another head off on a Wednesday night, unfortunately. I feel like Danny Ige still is on the ups. I just feel like now is where his run comes to an end. I feel like as long this is Calvin's had a similar fights like this before as well. You know, Jeremy Stevens, that's, you know, a guy that's looking to rush you and bomb off on you. And I feel like he poses more of a threat, uh, you know, in, in terms of going unconscious than Dan Ige does. I feel like Ige, you know, might play this like Fishy did, you know, might try to rest a little bit. And if he does get the takedown, that's only going to tire him out for rounds two, three, four, and five. So uh, I got Calvin by knockout, you know, at some point in this fight. Uh, and I think that he's going to move on and put himself, you know, in that top five, maybe uh, a fight of Man Zombies fighting Ortega. Uh, you know, maybe em Emmett's injured, damn. I don't know who's going to fight after this, but I think Calvin knocks Danny Gay out. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Fight Island? My fight to watch is going to be Ricardo Ramos versus uh, Leroy Murphy. You know, I want to see how Leroy Murphy looks in the second time out to see. Because, I mean, look, the UFC is already throwing, in the, throwing them in there with the big boys, uh, you know, already. So I want to see what the what the deal is if he really is, uh, you know, able to fight with these guys. And Ramos, 24 years old, if he can get another victory, you know, then he just moves on and he keeps showing that he's improving at, at, in his new weight class. Yeah, look, for me, my fight to watch is Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Munir Lazay. There is no chance in hell that this fight is going to be boring. These two are going to be bombing off on each other until one man goes to sleep. And I have a feeling one man will go to sleep. Uh, someone should be walking away with a 50K bonus. Uh, I actually might have to take that back because Razak did miss weight. So maybe not. But regardless of that, it's going to be on a UFC highlight reel for years to come. So my fight to watch is Razak Al-Hassan versus Munir Lazay's. Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for Wednesday's fight night? My fighter to watch is going to be uh, Meatball Molly McCann, man. I'm super excited for her uh, in this fight with Santos. And, you know, we don't have too many female fighters from the U.K., so we know that she's representing. And, uh, man, I feel like she can carry the torch for that region for a long time if she comes out here and gets the win. So she's uh, my fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is uh, Calvin Cater. Look, this is a guy that for the longest time we've wanted to see him in these five-round fights. Now he finally does have a five-round fight live on ESPN. This is massive. I mean, if he can come out here and not just win, but win impressively, we could look, we could be looking at him fighting Alexander Volkanovsky for the UFC featherweight title next. So for that reason, Calvin Cater is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down Wednesday night in Yas Island, Abu Dhabi, Fight Island. They can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. Use the promo codes Dan25 for 25% off my plays, Shaq50 for 50% off Shaq's, 2020 for 20% off the VIPs. Make sure you follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. 
bestfivepicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We will be back on Thursday to break down the Davison Figueredo versus Joseph Benavides fight or the Pantoja versus Benavides fight, whichever one they do. We'll be ready to talk about both fights and the entire card. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.